Hey friends, I'm back for another reading from the woman of the women, excuse me, of the Bible speak. We're going to be talking about Leah today. If Rachel was love at first sight for Jacob, Leah was the opposite. She wasn't physically beautiful or attractive in comparison with her younger sister. Even though Leah is the older sister, at the beginning of the story we see her subscri subscribed only in terms of how she stacks up against Rachel. Rachel was the one who took center stage. Rachel was the one who met Jacob at the well, the one to capt captivate him. Rachel was the sort of wo woman men fell in love with at first sight, and Leah apparently was not, at least not for Jacob. Now, Libyan had two daughters. The name of the the name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. For centuries, Jewish and Christian scholars alike have puzzled over what this description means. What does it mean for someone to have weak eyes? Does it mean that Leah was nearsighted? Possibly. Leah couldn't see very well and squinted a great deal. This might have meant she moved more slowly and awkwardly than confident, dazzling Rachel. Some scholars interpret the wording to mean her eyes actually appeared younger than Rachel's. In my case, Leah isn't portrayed the way her sister is. In this verse, Rachel is described in the Hebrew as beautiful of sight. In the context of the marriage practices of ancient Near, Near Eastern families, it makes sense that these two family units, that of Rebecca and that of Libyan, may have been looking to each other. Jacob was forbidden to marry a Canaanite woman, so traveling back to family in, let's see, I hope I don't missay miss this, Impostima would have been logical. After all, he was fleeing for his life. His mother, Rebecca, sent him to, to her brother, Lebian. And Rebecca had two sons, while Lebian had two daughters. It's possible there was a family understanding regarding an arranged marriage between these sets of cousins, <clears throat> which would have made Issue's decision to marry Canaanite was all the more irritating to his mother. Rebecca did say to Jacob that if he too married was one of the Canaanite women, my life will not be worth living. It is also tempting to wonder if Leah was downhearted living in constant comparison to Rachel. Was she viewed, was she viewed her whole life as second rate in contrast to her beautiful younger sister? We have a hint of this in Lebanon's double dealing regarding Rachel's wedding. Why would Lebanon have stooped to the kind of trickery? Was there no takers for Leah? Why didn't Lebanon explain the custom to Jacob? Should Jacob already have known of it? For all his wealth, Lebanon must have realized that there would be no offers forthcoming for his older daughter. And so he capitalized on Jacob's presence to make sure that Leah, too, had a husband. 
How did Leah feel about all this? We don't have, we don't hear her speak until she names her firstborn son. Then we have a hint. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, she, he enabled, excuse me, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for he, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. What Leah found about all this was likely humiliated. Humiliated that her younger sister was constantly preferred over her husband. Humiliated that she was able to have a husband only by trickery and deceit. Deceit in which she had to actively participate in order to seal her marriage to a man who didn't want her in the first place. Leah's lot was a difficult one. But notice that she said what she says about it. The Lord saw her misery. These words are similar to those of Hagar, who, like Leah, was also rejected. Both of them cried out to God, who truly saw them, almost certainly in a way that no human eyes ever did. Hagar was unseen because of her slave status, and Leah felt unseen because she felt unloved, or at least less loved than Rachel. But God, who saw Leah, knew of her distress and had mercy. It's worth pausing here and thinking a little about the religious identity of Labian and his family. When you know, we know that Abraham and his son Isaac worshipped the one true living God who made himself known in personal revelations to them. Jacob was raised to worship the same God whom he personally encountered in his vision of the stairway or ladder at Bethel. Bethel. But there is no idea yet in Scripture that people outside this small family circle are worshiping Abraham's God. In fact, we know that Libyan had idols or images in his home because Genesis 31 tells us that Rachel stole them. It's likely Rachel and Leah were not raised to worship Abraham's God. At this point in the Bible story, God is unknown to those outside the tight-knit family circle of Abraham's sons or grandsons. But that circle apparent grew, apparently grew to include Leah, who must have adopted her husband's God as her own. Developing a true and living relationship with him, a bond that involved conversation, we can imagine her pouring out her sorrow, feeling like an afterthought who couldn't capture her husband's heart, no matter how hard she tried. Always Finishing a distant second place to her stunning sister. What might have come to know about God is those lonely nights of prayer. That prayer was answered with the birth of Reuben. Here was Leah the unloved, the runner-up in the sweepstakes of life, the internal second best, and yet she was the one who produced Jacob's firstborn son and heir. The first syllable of Reuben's name is re for look and look what God has done for me is it means but as Leah finds herself says it also means that God looked on her the name as Leah understands it's not about glorifying her but but about her gratefulness to God and frankly at this point in the story Leah must feel so alone as alone she has been her whole life but finally in her husband's God, she had found something different.
someone different. Someone sees not just her, but the reality of the situation. Leah went on to give birth again. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Let me see here. Clear my throat here. See if I can take over a little reading here. Help out. All right, where are we at here? Let's see right here. So she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And she named him Simeon. Simeon's name in Hebrew is Shimon. The first part of that name, the root word, means to hear. The God she had come to know and trust had not only seen her, but heard her. She was completely known, and God's blessing to the unloved Leah continued to be poured out abundantly. Leah had two more sons. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband and I will become attached. My husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. See, that story is located in Genesis 29, in case anyone's interested. All right, Levi's name means attached or joined. And Leah's hope, heartbreaking as it was, that Jacob would come to love her as he loved Rachel and to be bonded to her. Even though she bore yet another son after Levi, we don't see that it ever vaulted her past her sister in terms of Jacob's affection. And yet Leah found reason to praise God. When her fourth son was born, she gave him an astonishing name. Yehuda, or Judah, meaning praise to Yah. Yah is an ancient name of Abraham's God. Less a proper name than an acclamation of love and adoration. She invoked the name of God, whom Jacob had shown her, and she gave thanks to him. For the first time in naming her son, she did not reference the external circumstances of her husband's neglect. Reuben, surely my husband will love me now. Simon, the Lord heard that I am not loved. Levi, now at last my husband will become attached to me. Instead of in humbling gratitude, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she made that choice despite some incredible challenging circumstances. It was clear her husband preferred Rachel to her, and while Rachel was sinking deeper into hatred and resentment of her more fertile sister, this was a highly dysfunctional family, but Leah found a way to focus on blessing, blessings God had given her, not the ones he hadn't. Still, she wanted Jacob's love, as her choice of the plaintive name Levi tells us, but she did not let that desire crush her. God remained the center and foundation of her being. God had given her the blessings of six healthy sons, an incredible richness in the ancient world. Here in the story of Leah, we see, that, we see the theme that will appear again and again in Scripture, the story of God's reversal of world's values. Leah, the unloved, became the beloved of God, and her rejection by her husband becomes the occasion of her abundant blessing. Slowly through her journey, we see Leah growing and becoming stronger, surer of herself. In the initial verses of the story, Leah seems to have little to say for herself. Let's be clear, her first words are about her humiliation. She is quiet and retiring, 
Not the kind of person to stand up for herself. But after her sons are born, she is different. And we see that difference unfold gradually. Rachel's plan to conceive through her slave, Billa, was a strategy that Leah eagerly copied. Leah was practical, and she knew a good idea when she saw one. Don't think she wasn't viewing this as a competition, just as Rachel did. As soon as Rachel had successfully attained two sons through Billa, Leah offered up her servant, Zilpha. Imagine the stories we hear from Billa and Zilpha's perspective. Again, the names Leah gave these sons tell us a great deal about her spiritual state. Rachel gave Billa's children different names denoting victory and judgment, seeing their birth as one more move in her great contest with her sister. But Leah named Zilpha's boys Gad and Asher, names meaning good fortune and blessing, respectively. It is worth pausing to reflect on the names of the children in the Bible. Almost in every instance, the narrative of Genesis, it is the women who do the naming. And this can be viewed as a reflection of their spiritual state. Think of Rachel naming her final son, Son of Pain, or Sarah, commemorating her laughter in Isaac's name. Fertility and childbearing were deeply spiritual activities. Markers not just of social status, but of one's relationship with God. The naming of children was a kind of statement for mothers. A way in which women told part of the story of their lineage that created God's people. The names that Leah gave her children reflected both her present circumstances and her hopes of their futures. By the time we see the sisters bargaining over the the mandrakes, Leah, is beginning to stand up for herself. We saw some of this in the passage earlier, but here's a bit more in context to help us better understand. Let's see, this is Genesis 30. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out to the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. If we wondered before if Leah was aware of the ongoing competition with her sister, we see clearly here that she was. And if Rachel's grief was her barrenness, Leah's grief in feeling rejected and disregarded was equally poignant. She wanted her husband to love her. Leah says a lot in that very revealing comment about how Rachel took away her husband. She had Jacob fully to herself for only one week. Remember, while Jacob had agreed to serve another seven years in exchange for Rachel, he married the younger sister only one week after he married Leah. Was there part of Leah that thought that Jacob might come to love her fully in time if the beautiful Rachel didn't, hadn't been on the scene? Or worse, did she wonder if her husband and her sister only discussed his preference for Rachel over her. A woman who had spent much of her life rejected and unloved was bound to wonder if her rival and her husband were quietly snickering at her some nights. The thought of never being enough must have tormented her, and both she and Rachel found ways to pour out their grief and anger at each other. Shy, retiring Leah appears to be gone by the time we get to the Mandrake story. 
She was the mother of five sons, the unquestioning matriarch of the family group. She did not hesitate to bite back at Rachel. She did not hesitate to give orders to Jacob, who apparently compiled, uh, complied without question. We see, the, we see her son Reuben's. We see her son Reuben's devotion to her in this, and his offering to her of the rare and vulnerable mandrake roots he has found. I wonder what a mandrake is. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, slowly we see the picture of Leah emerging, a loving mother, but of a woman who is now unafraid to bargain for and assert her rights. A woman who knew that she is worth in God's eyes, even if her husband never put her first. Sorry if this reading seems to be slowing here. I'm in some bad light. Let me move here. Okay. It's a sure bet that at some point in Leah's life, she imagined how happy and peaceful her life could have been. If Rachel had married someone else and had gone far away, it's time Jacob might have forgotten about her and come to love Leah. Leah's married life could have been more harmonious, and she bore children. They would not have been one more thing for her sister to resent. Hey, I'm back. I'm going to finish reading about Leah. Leah must have won an, ex an escape from a never-ending contest with her sister. But the truth is, without that relationship, Leah must never have become the calm, may never have become the calm, confident woman of God. She clearly is by the end of the narrative. How often do we think, how much easier would my life be without this irritating person in it. We might even speculate about the peace and success we could achieve if only so-and-so would stop making it hard for us. But the Rachel in our lives, the people who force for us to deal with the difficult circumstances, can also be the ones who push us into a deeper relationship with God. Can we turn those struggles with the Rachels in our lives into a truly vulnerable mo? more profound relationship with God who understands it all? Can we go as far as Leah and praise God in our circumstances, even when we feel unloved and in invisible? Though Leah may not ever be received her husband's love, she most certainly received God's blessing. Through her son Levi came Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and all of the priests of Israel, her son Judah, became a great prince and gave his name not only to the entire southern half of the kingdom of Israel, Judah, but also to the people of the book, the Jews. Judah was also the ancestor of King David. Indeed, Leah was the mother of the entire royal line of Israel, the mother of kings and princes for a thousand years. And of course she also of course she also the sister who appears in the line lineage of Christ, 
who himself descended through David from Leah's son, Judah. Jesus was the Lion of Judah and the true King of Israel. We met a lo- we met we get a lovely picture of redemption through Leah because the greatest member of the nation of Israel ever to be born. Christ our Savior was the child of the lesser loved li- wife. Leah knew what it was to be rejected, a sorrow Jesus also knew. He was despised and mocked. He warned his disciples that he would suffer many things and be rejected by his generation, by this generation. God himself has inhabited the grief of rejection. That Jesus came to this world through Leah's offspring in a wonderful picture. God waits for us not only in the places of beauty and popularity, but also offering the peace places excuse me a brokenness and rejection the darkest valleys and the ugliest messes there we find god deeply present seeing our misery and bringing us our most precious blessing just as he did for his daughter leah you know when i finish up with leah and i it says right here can we go as far as Leah and praise God in our circumstances, even when we feel unloved and visible? And when you are struggling with those emotions where you, you feel unloved and you don't feel like nobody cares and you feel like you're invisible and you feel like, you know, nobody's going to care if I don't show up to work or, I don't know, don't, don't come to a church function we have all those negative feelings, painful feelings that come at us. We need to pray about it. We need to pray for God to comfort us and heal us of uh, any unhealing in the soul. Especially if you have a lot of unhealing in the soul, if you have had a lot of traumatic experiences as as a child, in, you know, in your childhood, um, even in adulthood, that can affect you. That can make you feel more unloved and invisible. And that's the cause of shame. So unfortunately, it's like there's a cycle when there's... um. When there's traumatic events that happen to you, it's like it's like somebody's it's hard to explain punching on your brain, and after you've been dealing with the traumatic events for so long it I don't know what it is, but it shifts your brain and not in a good way, so anybody can feel unloved and invisible. But I'm just saying, when you have traumatic experiences, those feelings can make it come on even stronger. And so when those feelings come on, we need to pray. Pray against it. And remember, and not just remember, but know that we are loved. That we are not invisible. That we are God's children. And if people reject us, then they reject us. 
but we're still going to have our father. We're, you know, we're still going to have God. We're still going to have him to lean on when you feel all alone, you feel like nobody cares. So I want to mention to y'all a new website that I have up. And um, I have been fixing these pictures. I am not a good picture editor. Um, and my problem is I'm a perfectionist, so I want it to be perfect. So my website is um, aqua-waters.com. And it's Ocean Based Jury. It's Ocean Based Jury. And um what I and what made me come up with that is because I love jur I love jewelry. Even though I don't wear it all the time, but I do like it. Um and I love the ocean. I love the ocean as far as I can remember because it just it calms me. And I, to be honest with you, I should live by the ocean, but I think I live about four hours away. So, but I, you know, but every time I go, I enjoy it. It just soothes my sinuses. Um, I don't know. It just makes me feel better, you know, to hear the waves crashing and, you know, watch the seabirds, you know, watch nature. I mean, I love everything about the ocean I don't think there's anything to be honest with you that I don't like about the ocean well I wouldn't like the hurricanes or nothing but other than that you know because you know hurricanes don't come all the time <laughs> you know what I mean that would have been a bad situation they came all the time but uh that would not be a good situation I'm sorry I'm starting to I'm starting to ramble, but it's ocean-based jewelry. It has necklace, necklace, necklaces, and uh, bracelets. Um, I don't have a whole lot of jewelry because I I'm testing out the website, which I do. I am selling them at the bazaar and where I live in downtown Noonan. And if y'all want more information about that, you can uh, message me. But if you can just go on there and just look at the jury, you know, see if you like to order, I would really appreciate it. No pressure, no pressure at all. Um, but I will talk to you later, friends. Thank you for listening.